sometimes break up over the argument of whether you should applaud or not during church or whether amen is appropriate or not but this is one of those occasions where applause is absolutely appropriate and I'd like to bring forward Dr. Joseph Rivers thank you for that beautiful piece of music that is now ours thank you for sharing it with us and making your heart come alive. I don't know how you do that. And Catherine Dilsaver, who wrote the words. It was a poem, the text, the lyrics. Thank you. Turn around. Let people see you. Woohoo! We're going to sing the children out. Right. 
Hey. <laughs> so I'm Connie Goodbread, and I am the acting co-lead of the Unitarian Universalist Association, Southern Region, Congregational Life Staff Team. <laughs> and I would just like to point out that there are three words left in the English language that are not in that title. So that gives you an idea of what I do. Right? It's perfectly clear, right? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, I'm delighted to be here. It is an honor to be here. It's an honor to serve, uh, to be your partner in this work. Um, and I want, to, I want to start off by tying in the stories that we've been telling this morning. But before I do that, there seems like there's something missing. So um, I think I need to tell you the second chapter, the second Get Rabbi's Gift. So remember the first chapter that we heard about with the rabbi's gift was that the rabbi reminded the monks that they were holy, that they were special. Each one of them individually was important, had inherent worth and dignity, right? So the rabbi gave them back that piece of their reality. Well, that's one chapter. Just like for first 50 years is one chapter, right? So the book is not finished. The story is not over. So what is the second chapter? What is the second rabbi's gift? So let's talk about that. So in this chapter, we find the abbot walking around the monastery. It's two years later, and he's locking the gate that's in the wall that is built around the monastery. And you know, it's two years later, and there are now 53 monks living in the monastery. And he should be happy and satisfied with that. But you know, there's always a lot of work. You know, they had to open up wings of the monastery that had been closed for years. And the food, there's just never enough. There's always work going on in the kitchen. There's always work in the garden. It's just really a lot of work. And they carve out time for contemplation and meditation and deep thinking and discussions with one another, but something is missing. And he just can't figure out what it is. So he notices that the smoke is rising from the chimney in the, in the woods. So he decides he's going to go back out and talk with the rabbi. Now, they've been talking since the last time for these two years. Every time the rabbi is in the woods, the abbot's been going out there. And so they've become really close. And so the, the, the abbot takes the, another loaf of bread and the tea that the, he knows the rabbi likes, and he heads out into the woods. And they sit, they greet one another as old friends, because that's what they are now. And they sit and they talk and they cry together and they laugh together. And then the abbot says, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm just so not satisfied with the way things are happening, the way things are going in the, in the monastery. You know, we've got 53 monks. It's grown by leaps and bounds. Everything seems to be going well. I mean, there are repairs that are always needing to be made, and there's never enough food, and all of that's true. But what's wrong? 
And the rabbi says, you know, it's the same thing at the synagogue in the village. Ah, there's always repairs to be made. I, you know, I try to talk. You know, there's sickness and there's hunger in the village. I don't know if you've been there recently, but there are problems in the village. And I try to get my parishioners to go out into the village and, and do this work. But, you know, there's just not enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough energy. And so, you know, we're maintaining the synagogue as best we can, too. So, the abbot goes back. No advice again, right? The abbot goes back and has dinner with the, with the rest of the monks, with all of the monks. And the monk said, so what did the, we know that you're worried about something. What did, what did the rabbi say about your worries? And he said, he's got the same worries. You know, there's stuff going on in the village. There's famine. There's disease. And his synagogue is also in disrepair. And they never have enough time or enough people to do all of the work. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, but, you know, we've got to maintain this, this building. We've got to maintain the grounds. We've got to feed one another. So over the weeks, the monks talked about this with them, amongst themselves, right? And they talked about what they might do, what might we do differently. And one day, Brother Andrew and Brother Thomas came to the abbot and said, Listen, there's some leftover food. And what we thought we would do is we're going to take a wheelbarrow, fill it up with the vegetables and the bread, and we're going to go down into town and we're going to see if we can feed some people. And the abbot said, is there going to be enough for everybody here? And the monk said, well, we don't know, but we think it's the right thing to do. And the abbot said, I agree. So they took the food into the village. And when they got into the village, there was hunger and there was disease, and they found two people from the synagogue, Margaret and Sarah, who were working with some of the people who were not well. <coughs> so they began talking with them. They gave away the food, and they came back to the monastery, and that night at dinner, they shared what their experience had been. So the monks all decided that they could go without a little bit of food if they could give more of the food away. And so... Brother Andrew and Brother Thomas began going into town weekly and then daily. And they partnered with the people from the synagogue who were trying to do the health care. And actually a young doctor showed up and started helping out. And they actually built a little clinic. And they started giving away the food in a really sort of organized way. And then one day what happened, some people from the village came up some carpenters and some roofers came up and helped, helped the monastery to fix all of the buildings that, it, that it was, were in disrepair. And then some farmers came up and started giving them advice about how to grow more food. And before we knew it, the gate in the wall of the monastery had been open for so long that the key was lost and grass had grown around the bottom of the gate. The mission of the church is not to build the church. The mission of the church is to build the just and loving world. So in the first story, what we heard was how we treat one another, how we expect to be treated ourselves, makes all the difference.
Unitarian Universalism is a covenantal, not a creedal faith. What does that mean? We ask you to come into this holy space as we support you and ask you to support us so that we become and become and become yet again. But that is only the personal work that is done within the body of the congregation. The reason for that work is so that we can go out into the world and build the just and loving community. Building the beloved community within these walls is the practice for the work that we must do out in the world. The purpose of the church is not to build the church. It is to build the just and loving world. And you should be so joyful because you have everything that you need, both human and divine, to do that work. You have partners. Look around. Isn't it lucky that we found one another? I mean it. Look at one another. Look in one another's faces. You are sparkling. You are stardust. You are golden. To quote Joni Mitchell. You are stardust. You are golden. And it is time for us to give all of that away in an incredibly generous and unselfish way, and to know that we have partners all around us that are willing to help us do that work. I am your partner. I am so grateful that you give me the opportunity through your generosity and your partnership to do the work that I do I love my job. Bizarre title and all. I love my job, and you make that possible. Thank you for being my partner.